Hello everyone, I'm Adrian. Hey everyone, I'm Dakshesh. And welcome to an episode of BizTalk. Together at BizTalk, we aim to create a medium for professionals to broaden their business horizons. And we do this by delivering quality content from business leaders to professionals. If you have an innate desire to learn more about key business functions, tactics, and new tech disruptions through business and technology leaders, then join us as we converse with them to learn, understand, and gain insights from their experiences. These business and technology leaders will be spread, will be spread across different roles, industries, and geographies. This is our second episode on the topic of key account management. In our previous episode, we covered the basics of key account management, where our guests shared some amazing insights on how CAM is different from sales, the criteria companies should consider while defining their key accounts, essential components to an account plan, how to create winning teams, and a lot more. In this episode, we will talk about one of the biggest factors behind winning big with your key account which is building relationships with the C-suite. Our today's guest is perfectly suited to explain how. Why? He has amazing wealth of experience around key account management. He has won numerous big deals and he has won those deals by building strong relationships with the CXOs. And the best part is that he has also been on the other side of the table watching sales reps pitch to him. Whenever we get a chance to meet him, we are always inspired and overwhelmed. Actually, mostly overwhelmed. Just to put this into perspective, while we were still in our mother's wombs, under the guidance of Shiv Nadar, he co-founded HCL Comnet with Vineet Nair, Anand Gupta, who was the ex-CEO of HCL, C. Vijay Kumar, who is the current CEO of HCL, and hundreds of other individuals who are today making a huge impact in the industry. And right before entering our teens, HCL Comnet merged with HCL Technologies when, their I, when HCL came out with their IPO. And when we got into college with no clue about what we'd be doing in our careers, that's when he was the PL owner of 30% of HCL's revenue, having built and set up key accounts practices by winning several large deals worth 50 million above. Our guest today is Sanjeev Nikore. Welcome, Sanjeev, to BizTalk. How are you doing? So, doing fine. Uh... Adrian and Dakshesh, uh, really happy to connect with you and share some uh, experiences, whatever they are worth. Awesome. We are really looking forward to it, Sanjeev. So Sanjeev, before we deep dive more into our discussion around key account management, we wanted to start off on a lighter note. And hence, we thought of doing a rapid fire round of question with you so that it also gives our listeners an opportunity to know you better. So Sanjeev, directly getting into it let's start off with the question uh, you know what's not on your LinkedIn profile <laughs> that's an interesting one uh, I try and put everything there but of course uh, there's limited <laughs> space in social media and uh, you know so you can't capture everything of everybody's personality so even in my case obviously there are a lot of uh, some of the hobbies which have not been which I couldn't really explain and put. Um, so one of them is mentorship. I mentor a lot mm. of uh, startups. Uh, the other thing is I write a lot, you know, so I used to edit a magazine, a campus rag, as we used to call it. 
called mm-hmm. Impulse in IIT BHU, which we kind of started and used to sell it for 50 paise. So we are now planning <laughs> to start a digital version now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go digital. I think yeah. everything is going digital now with COVID. Yeah. So Sanjeev, as I mentioned in your intro, one of the best things about having you uh, for the topic of key account management is that you have been on the other side of the table as well. So if someone is pitching something to you, what's the biggest turn off for you in a sales pitch? So I guess uh, this I got from a CIO of a very well-known company and he shared it with us in our one of our management uh, training sessions. And so, and, and I also observed it over a period of time. I think the, if you're making a standard pitch, you know, out of your collateral, um, I think that turns off most people. People don't want standard pitches. They want something customized, something to their context of their business, you know. And, um, you know, if you come and tell me all about you and not listen to me, I think that's a big turn off. Yeah, fair point. Another question, best sales pitch, continuing from that only, I'm sure you would have seen a lot of good sales pitches as well till now. Can you recall probably one of the best sales pitch that you've heard till now and what was so good about it? So I would honestly say a sales pitch, which is not a sales pitch, but which Mm -hmm. is a relationship pitch is probably the best pitch. And if the relationship pitch is all about saying one thing and all about creating trust and commitment, and it's a single uh, storyline, I think that's that sort of really works the best. Got it. Sanjeev, you have been working since a long time. You have garnered a lot of experiences. What would you say is a life mantra? Probably some of the biggest learning that you've had till now. Um, I would say failure is a big, very big teacher. You know, and, uh, you know, I can give you a small example. Uh, There was a very big account where, you know, we fought very hard for the deal, but we got only a very small piece. And a lot of us were disappointed. But I told my colleagues, you know, we will come back. Let's learn from our failure. And that's what happened. So I think life mantra is, I think, learn from your failures. Got it. One book that you would recommend everyone to read and why? Uh, (laughs) Well, you know, um, to be honest, for a couple of years, I had left reading. You know, I used to be a voracious reader, but then suddenly something happened. And then just a few months back, a couple of months back, my wife said, you know, have you heard of Ikigai? And I said, what's that? She said, just read this book. And when I, I, and I couldn't stop. I read it in one go. He, you know, it's all about life and how to lead a balanced life, you know. And uh, I, I just really loved it. The other mm-hmm. one I could recommend, I mean, there's not one, is Thank You for Being Late by Thomas Friedman. The one who wrote mm-hmm. the world is flat. Yeah. Got it. Sanjeev, if you could give one career advice to our audience, like a lot of people would be in this uh, early phases of their career. Someone would be at the mid or senior phases. 
what would that be one career advice i would say guys stay the course go deep uh inch wide and mile deep you know upskill yourself remember yesterday's skills are no longer relevant learn how to make a pitch on technology uh become a technical sales person technical account manager you know and i think that's that's going to be very important consulting skills technology skills rather than try and do everything thanks sanjeev i think some really great points for a lot of our listeners to take away and i love this i love the one on failure being a biggest teacher i mean in key account management i think you may not succeed all the time and a lot of times what we hear is the moment uh, you know you pitch to a cxo or you're trying working hard in a deal and you fail a lot of people move away from it and then move on to other deals so i think a great example what you shared with us is you know you guys stuck to it and made sure you all came back and won the deal again so i think i really love that particular point and so just moving on to our core topic of discussion and how do we win big with our key accounts so sanjeev when we first asked you this question and you straight away said that you know the single biggest factor was to kind of to win the biggest account was to build strong and credible relationships with the c suite so we would love if you could kind of speak about the why piece that you know why is it important and then maybe delve into the how piece like how do you actually build that relationship what leads uh, what would what are the things that you would do to lead up to that or to build that relationship no absolutely uh, i think if you don't have a relationship you're not there and if you don't have a relationship with a key decision maker uh, the person who has the budget control who has the economic decision making you will work very hard you will do all the grunt work reach up to the finals but you will be disappointed so connecting early with the key decision maker and building the trust with the key decision maker is very very important and typically these are cxos in any company but while you are trying to develop the relationships another thing very important is that you must create an account plan you know uh, what happens is that most of us become very deal centric that doesn't work in large accounts and that doesn't help build relationships relationships are built if you have a plan you built a plan for that account right in the beginning of the year and you you know you have planned beforehand which area you want to engage in which stakeholder you want to engage in okay rome wasn't built in one day so i guess while relationship is extremely important and that's what is going to get you the deal at the end get you to scale in the account but to do that a necessary condition is to do account planning so how do you do account planning the first step in account planning is to really know your customer i call it kyc like when a bank comes to you and they want to open an account right you want to open an account in a bank the first thing the bank does is kyc now kyc is all about trying to understand the customer in detail get to know his industry his or her industry get to know his or her application landscape uh, his technology landscape um, and then try and figure out which of your offerings align well with the customer's needs or requirement 
after you've done the KYC, then you build an opportunity plan. So what you do is you really sort of understand the various opportunities and you match your strengths with the opportunities that you see on the table. And while you're trying to sort of figure out the opportunities, I think on the simultaneous side, you get into the radar of all the decision makers, the stakeholders, and you assess your relationships, identify the key decision makers, and try and build trust and relationship through more frequent interactions with these decision makers so that you also understand the opportunities better, the landscape better, and where you can play in the account. So I think the next step is really where to play. Once you understood where to play, you then have to go to how to play. But how do you do where to play? So there are some techniques out there. We call them account navigation techniques. So there's a particular tool we use called account navigator, where once you have down selected all the possible opportunities, you kind of evaluate them on an X, Y axis. So the x-axis is really the potential or scale of that opportunity you know some opportunities scale very high and some don't and then on the y-axis on, on the so this is on the y-axis on the x-axis you look at your winnability the winnability evaluation is based on your own capability and your fitment with that uh, opportunity you know your relative strength vis-a-vis -vis competition your industry standing, your existing share of wallet in the account. Okay. So once you've done that evaluation, essentially you can place opportunities into four quadrants. The top left-hand quadrant where the scale or the opportunity potential is very high, but your winnability is low is what we call the uh, moonshots. You know, these are moonshots you can take uh, but you know you can you should only select one or two because your chances of winning are low. If you go to the right hand quadrant of the y axis on the top right hand quadrant is what are basically the gold mines where the opportunity is high and your winability is high. so these are the opportunities which are really your sweet spots and then on the bottom right hand quadrant where the Opportunity to scale may not be very high, but your winnability may be very high because you're already there in that area. These are safe heavens or cash cows, right? And on the left-hand quadrant, where, you know, uh, both on the Y and the X axis, where the potential is low and the winnability is low, these are kind of, I would say, you know, dogs, you know, and we should not really go for these opportunities. So ultimately, based on the evaluation of which quadrant the opportunities are, you may select three or four for pursuit. Um, and these are your sweet spots. So now you're kind of answering the question where to play. And the size of the opportunity, the opportunity to grow, and the winnability then become the key factors based on which you prioritize the opportunities. And then what you do is you go into your next stage of how to win, you know, how to play, okay, how to engage. And for that, first thing you do is you now try and reach to the top of the decision making cycle. Um, and you try and arrange some executive meetings where you carry your other team members with you, maybe your subject matter, top subject matter expert, your CTO, your uh, chief delivery officer, or your um, 
executive sponsor or your chief executive and you sort of orchestrate these meetings. Now, while you're orchestrating these meetings, it's also very important that you keep in increasing your mind share into the account. This can be done in two ways. There is a brand value of your company and there's your own personal brand value. You've got to focus on both. So you have to make use, very clever use of the social media, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's some other social media like Twitter. Uh, I won't advise Twitter that much, but uh, let's say, you know, uh, LinkedIn is the best way of sort of reaching out and creating your mind share, right? Uh, publishing some blogs uh, and then and then engaging with with your stakeholders on the social media, you know, reading their blogs and responding to their blog in the social media. So they start noticing you, you know, they start understanding, they start engaging with you through the social media. And that way you create a, a brand positioning for yourself, a relationship, right? And, uh, you know, parallelly, you kind of press for these meetings. And once you get those meetings, I don't think you should go into these meetings blindfolded. You know, these big deal pursuits, these big opportunities come with a lot of hard work and smart work, both. You know, like Einstein said, 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration. So, so you prepare for these meetings. If you go into these meetings unprepared, you know, you will be most unsuccessful. I remember, you know, there's one campaign I did with Mr. Nader personally. And, you know, he made me prepare for these meetings for full one week. He kept asking me questions and making me do fact checks and, you know, getting documents to him. And then we had a lot of brainstorming sessions before we went and even met the CIO and the CXO. And, and in that meeting, 60-minute meeting, he just, he just hit it out of the park. And... No, we were not even considered a player in that account in a major way. We were a minor player. Suddenly, we got a huge opportunity. We were, we were told that we are going to be giving you the RFP for a 200 million deal. So, you know, one meeting can be a game changer. And we call such a meeting a golden call. You know, in fact, we used to have a matrix in one of my, in my previous life, where we used to, you know, monitor for the account managers, how many golden calls did they take in a month? A golden call is where you do a meeting with a senior decision maker and it's a game changer meeting. It changes your status. It gets you into the next stage of the deal, right? Sanjeev, a yeah. quick question there. I really love the concept of the golden call and, you know, doing those important preparations while going into a big meeting. A lot of times uh, what we also see is that while someone is going for a meeting, the preparation can be like a black hole in itself. It is endless. The amount of preparation that you can do for a company, the amount of preparation that you can do about the person that you're going to meet, about the industry, it is an endless black hole. So do you have any four to five key things in mind, sort of like a checklist that, okay, I need to know these things before going into a meeting? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting question. And, uh, I think this is something which everybody should reflect on. So most of this stuff you would have already captured in your account plan. For example, knowing the industry, knowing the triggers which are causing change in the industry, knowing the technology, 
knowing the technology which is disrupting the business of the uh, company that you are meeting or you are engaging with understanding the technology landscape the application architecture if you are engaging in so for example application or infrastructure architecture if you're engaging in infrastructure understanding where you stand vis a vis competition who are the other competitors what's your share versus competition what is your strength weakness versus competition uh, who are the uh, what is the hierarchy and where does the person stand in the hierarchy before you meet the person what is his relative level of influence in terms of uh, you know influencing the deal or making a decision how much budget the person controls right and uh, and i think these are the kind of things that you need to sort of this is a kind of a rough checklist i can give but this is this is now got converted quite a lot into a science baksesh uh, so uh, but but this these are these, these are something that you got to research on and you got to not only research on but you need to update all your other members who are going for the meeting so that everybody is prepared and other thing is that you got to practice before you go to the meeting about the roles that if you're going multiple people into the meeting then each of you should know what role you're playing for example everybody cannot butt into the same thing uh, you as an account manager are really playing the role of a relationship manager right so you will be like a ambassador right and moderator who will give the cue to wait to only when there is a discussion on the solution uh, if you're taking executive or your boss or head of sales uh, then that person should initially pitch about the company and give the cover and so on and so forth right so i think that's also very important right yeah the account manager will be the sutradhar like you can say yeah the sutradhar basically <laughs> yeah yes. and the movie doesn't run without the sutradhar right so yeah, you exactly. know every account uh, every deal every large pursuit every uh, you know every navigation in an account the key account uh, is like a movie right and in a way the account manager is like the director of the movie yeah exactly so sanjeev uh, there's another question that actually came up on my mind so the preparation on the preparation bit like you know how important it is how do you think or how would you rate the importance of understanding the person's personality the per- the cxo's personality when you're trying to go and pitch to them uh, or speak with them like how important do you think that is so i think it's extremely important uh, as important as the content uh because um you know some cxos they love to talk they love to connect they jovial they listen to stories and they tell stories well the others are very fact oriented you know uh, very analytic so we need to understand that when we are meeting a person we don't tell stories to an analytical person and we don't talk analytics with a jovial storytelling person right otherwise your connect uh, will be very weak will not be uh, you know will will sort of you will not create the chemistry so how do we understand that how do we understand the personality a uh, lots of cues we can come from walking the aisles and having your ear to the ground and meeting a lot of people who know the decision maker you're going to meet so definitely you can pick 
from there. But in today's world where you know you can't have that many face-to-face meetings and probably can't walk the aisles, how do you do? How do you do that? So, well, there are tools. And besides walking the aisles, uh, you know, there are tools like, for example, Crystal Nose, which kind of analyzes the social media of you know sort of messages the social media uh, blogs the posts and from there they are able to sort of figure out the disposition of the person the profile they are able to create a profile you know it's very interesting and i have i've kind of used it before and at least i can say not 100% but 9 times out of 10 it's come out fairly accurate okay so so I guess, you know, uh, using such tools, uh, obviously having ear to the ground and uh, building a relationship with all the other uh, people in the account, which could be gatekeepers, but gatekeepers are also useful to you. We have people who sort of give you information, which we call them pichichis, you know. Uh, so so it, it's, it's very interesting, you know. And uh, uh, so so once you develop, uh, you understand the ecosystem, uh, you can you can sort of pick it up. But I think it's extremely important. Uh, otherwise, your meeting will be a disaster. So something more I wanted to sort of emphasize is what we call band. Uh, it's something that is used, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's something which is used in sales, equally important in account management, that we need to keep our antennas sharp and understand uh, whether for the opportunities that we are discussing, the budget is available. Is there a budget? Is there a clear uh, money which is available and sanctioned? And whether the need is defined in the short term or in the medium term or in the long term. So we need to understand these two things very clearly. Based on that, we can sort of prioritize areas where we should focus now uh, and ones which we can keep warm. So once we've done all that, you know, then we have a, a, you know, a better idea of how to play. And then we can map the opportunities with the decision makers. Uh, we can then create what is called a sort of a account attack plan, an opportunity attack plan. And uh, we can orchestrate it better. Uh, we can marshal our own internal forces better. So in a way, I call this band baja barat, you know. So starting with band, we, don't know, we know where to blow our trumpet and then which barat or what kind of people from our own organization. Because typically in a large account, you will have more, many people coming in from your own organization wanting to do things. And you need to create those multiple one-to-one, one-to-many uh, sort of relationships, which you will orchestrate. You may not be there everywhere. So you can't be a gatekeeper. You know, you have to be a facilitator and a catalyst. And that's how it will work well. Okay. So that's, that's now you're ready, uh, guys, to sort of move in for the kill. You've set the stage. You've got the strategy. You've created an engagement plan. And now the thing is how to create a win. How do you, how do you create a win strategy? So for that, I think it's important that you re- revisit the customer's needs, his requirements, and start creating a storyboard, which is the first part of creating a win strategy, okay? In fact, I think the best thing is that 
if you know a deal is coming in and you're going to be issued an RFP or maybe you can, you know, you get a single source opportunity, then you start writing something what is called an executive summary. You know, a statement where you can say, well, this is your need. This is what are the solutions I'm giving. These are my value themes. These are my differentiators. This is the risk that you have with me and this is how I'll mitigate the risk. This is how I'll service your need. This is a roadmap that I can provide you. And these are the benefits that I can give. And this is my, these are my proof points or experiences that I can share with you. You start building this executive summary and socializing it within your organization with the customer and you will get a lot of traction. You get a lot of engagement. So obviously based on this, uh, as the opportunity gets matured, as it gets more defined, as the customer also now starts uh, defining his requirement, his or her requirement more sharply, you'll be better prepared. You know, So you're now early in the game. I think it's very important uh, in key account management while pursuing large deals to be early in the game. Don't expect to win a deal if you are just responding to an RFP. So... I can give you numerous examples of companies where we worked, accounts where we worked, we were early in the deal. And we were able to shape the, some of the opportunities because then you have, uh, you can sort of contribute your idea, you know. So for example, uh, uh, a big company which is into retailing furniture globally, you know, they were struggling with their supply planning, supply chain process. And we did a small project, but a very meaningful project, you know, in terms of how to evaluate their suppliers and how to create an ordering process so that they have almost 100% availability of components, of raw materials at every store. And then, you know, they, at the same time, they don't have high inventory, you know. So with that project, we were able to learn a lot about this critical process and we were able to actually kind of build in uh, this into the big RFP that they were creating on outsourcing their entire application work. So, so I think it's important to sort of engage early and to start positioning yourself, your services and your differentiators and then build a value proposition, which is all about why should they select you? You know, most in most large accounts, which are you know, uh, and large accounts are mostly global 2000 companies, uh, they would have multiple vendors, so they would want to understand each vendor's strength, each partner's strength and weakness, and they would definitely like to give the work to the best vendor. Uh, horses for courses is what we call it, right? So, you got to sort of have the ability to project your strength and be able to articulate it in such a way that you are considered for some portion of the work. Okay. You can't win it all in most of the large accounts, but the spending is so high that even if you sort of get a, a certain good share, maybe 20, 30% of the work, you know, I mean, I think you're successful. I mean, you've achieved the scale, uh, and that is why it is so important that, uh, you know, you define, you understand your secret sauce, uh, you, you, you define your USPs, unique selling propositions, you get your team in place to map all the stakeholders and uh, build, then start building a world-class proposal when, once the RFI comes out or once 
you have defined your opportunity in more detail and sometimes you participate many times you will participate in the rfp process because procurement insists on it but many times if you created value and and it's happened to us at least in several occasions that we are the single source right and uh, and you know you know many a time even with a single source they will create an advisor they will take an external advisor to evaluate you right at that point in time the deal is yours to lose if you do not put the right team you do not move fast even in a rfp situation if you have walked on the deal you are still in a good pole position right i think the most important thing at that point is to create a competition battle card because ultimately it's going to be a close fight and you know if you can sharpen the saw if you can convince the customer that you have a better offering overall you know you will definitely be in the mix it's 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 a big deal in a big account it's important to go to the last stages you know you must continue to have a seat in the board till the end because in a large deal things will fluctuate up and down sometimes in your favor sometimes in the competitor's favor okay i mean i can tell you one example of a very large company out of west coast uh in in california we were bidding for a huge 300 million opportunity and we were almost there you know we were the final two and and just because we didn't have a relationship with the board of so board of directors you know and one of the board members was very influential and he was backed by a competitor we lost the deal just because of that connection so i think it's it's important not only to sort of map the cxos but it's also important in very large deals to map the board members uh you know and they can be also very important or influential in such kind of decisions because ultimately customer buys because of trust and so we were the challenger there and the, the person the company which finally got it was a multinational you know company out of us right so when you are a challenger you may not have that kind of board connections so i think you need to you know sort of sort of prepare for it and and if, and if you you know uh, if you're aware about it you can definitely find a connect Where so, there's a will, there's a way, right? Yeah. So just yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. So just a, a thought. So I think, uh, like while you said, like you know, creating an account plan is kind of essentially helpful for you internally to also identify what opportunities exist at the customer's uh, place. And I think on the second portion, wherein you go in for the kill, you create your win strategy. So are you saying that is a part of a process wherein you have already had a meeting with the decision maker? You have discussed some of your value props. and they have given you an entry into let's say the rfp process or maybe they are open into hearing about uh, out of the five opportunities you presented maybe two of those opportunities precisely so that's what i was talking about that once you know that you have to be proactive and start sort of uh, you know mining and start furthering and start building the thought process and start adding value in terms of providing a lot of inputs uh to the customer and to the various stakeholders because it's a complex process a large account is very complex it's like an ocean you know and you have to sort of build in a way you're also a challenger and you're building the consensus 
and getting people to converge onto your thought process, right? And that's that's an art, you know. And uh, for that, I think that one of the good things is that if you can organize a 30, 60 day, 90 day attack plan, and you can create the engagement plan where you decide which member of your team plays what role, who maps whom, like in a football match, right? I mean, when you are uh, attacking, the opposite team has already marked you as a as an attacking player, and they, then they would have particular defenders to sort of mark you and you know circle you, right? That similar, you need you need to understand this like a football game, you know, and then uh, you know mark the stakeholders where you will build the relationship. Somebody else from your organization will build the relationship, and you'll have to build multiple relationships through a uh, well-orchestrated engagement process, right? And then I think very important that you should not be a yes man. You know, you don't say yes, yes, yes to everything, right? You be a challenger. You know, uh, uh, a challenger model works the best in large accounts where you are, you have a thought process, and if the customer has a different thought process, you should be able to discuss with the customer and put your point of view and try and present a view which is authentically yours. Maybe the customer is right and then you may agree and you may come to the consensus, but if you display an attitude that you are going to just say yes to everything, the customer will think that you are a yes person, you are an order taker, and in many cases for large complex deals, they will not give you an order. You know, uh, so you have to display a, a quality of thought process where customer thinks that you have an independent mind and you're able to bring value, which they don't have, right? And, and, and that is very important. You know, fear of missing out is a big thing, right? And you've got to kind of build on that, right? So once you've done that and... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sanjeev, yeah. Right. Uh, one more question. You said a very interesting point around having a competition battle card. So there would be a lot of new age startups who necessarily don't have any competition for them. So in such a scenario, how do you think uh, things change and uh, anything that they should be cautious about? Do you, or do you think the fundamentals and everything remain the same? No, no, I think this is a very interesting point that you've brought in, um, you know, and something that uh, we've been noticing in the last uh, couple of years um, as the startups are beginning to grow and come into bigger accounts. Um, you know, they generally have point products and point platforms, but they come from a, a digitally native environment, upbringing, you know, and uh, so they are able to connect much more easily with the businesses because they bring a particularly focused, sharp business idea. And they are, they are, they are bringing IT to solve that, right? You know, we see a lot of startups in software as a service. So I think it's time that the larger IT services firms or technology firms start embracing the startups and start creating an acceleration program whereby they also bring in the startups under their paper as a white label. And a lot of startups are actually interested in that also because they, are, they don't have the wherewithals, they don't have the marketing leverage, the sales strength to go and you know, sort of 
engage with large global accounts. Uh, so startups are a potent force. Uh, at this point in time, they're limited to point products, and uh, but they build relationships with businesses very quickly. And that is something we got to learn from the startups. I think one of the biggest problems we have in technology firms and IT services firms is that we're not able to engage with CXOs from the business, okay? We might be able to reach the CIO, the CISO, all that stuff, or the chief digital officer as well now. But, you know, are we engaged with the CFO? Are we engaged with the CHRO? Are we engaged with the CMO? Very few account managers are. And, I, and it is there that the startups are starting to sort of gain uh, market share. And I think that's an excellent point that you brought up. Yeah. Sanjeev, do you see, like, just out of curiosity, do you think that, is there any particular reason why startups are probably so successful in building these business relationships and whereas the bigger IT firms aren't that successful? It's the power of the idea. They're very sharply focused. For example, all the startups I work with, I also see them. They have one proposition, you know, one story. I talked about this earlier. Single sales objective. They're not sort of chasing the entire spectrum of things. Whereas most of the large technology firms who have big accounts or large IT services firms, who have, they are like supermarkets. Okay. Mm, yeah. So we're very diffused in terms of, so that's why I keep saying that you've got to sort of sharply zero down on a couple of big opportunities, which are aligned with a couple of your service lines and only pursue them and, you know, kind of keep building that positioning, keep going deep, and then you will win those deals, you know, those areas, right? And that's what startups do. They, 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 they basically engage not because that they have access like you have, but because they have the idea, you know, and, and, and they have worked very deeply on that. And secondly, they come from a digital native uh, upbringing and background and technology, you know, foundation. So they are able to talk digital, which uh, most of the account managers in the industry today are not. So that's another thing I'm going to talk about upskilling, right? Mm. But um, really speaking, that's 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 where there is there is this uh, difference with the startups. Yeah, not the having too many options works in the favor of them. Yeah, sometimes it does, sometimes yeah. it doesn't, because there is a risk with the startups. So wherever the customer is seeing a large risk, large business risk, then they would prefer to you know, work with the large majors and they would prefer that the startups come through the majors. And that's also another trend which is happening. So we need to also learn in account managers how to build collaboration with not only inside the company, our own strengths, but also partners. You know, how do we build partnerships? And that's something that, you know, good account managers are doing today. Got and it. that's that that's also it. a big differentiator in winning mm -hmm. uh, large deals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it. Right. So I'm al almost coming to the end of my sort of uh, discussion on uh, winning large deals. So once you've done all these things right, you would have done the final proposition. You would have factored in um, your win teams. You would have done your pricing right. Um, 
But sometimes you get into, you submit the proposal and you get into what is called a period of silence. You know, there's no response. And you start feeling nervous. We call that death valley, right? Uh, and you're not hearing back. You know, you're sending messages, but you're not hearing back. You know, first thing is not to panic, right? Uh, but yeah, if the death valley extends beyond a certain timeline, uh, I'm afraid the news is not too good, right? So I think we got to sort of um, find ways of staying connected with advisors, with the range of relationships we have built, and being very proactive. You know, if we hear anything negative, we must e quickly counter that. You know, in a, in a situation where you are within an account and you're trying to win a deal, it's not necessarily that everything goes by bureaucracy, right? And you're not going to be allowed to say or do something or submit something, even if you've done the final submission. I mean, there are many and large deals which we have sort of won by keeping our ear very close to the ground, you know, continue to follow the buzz. Moment we get a signal, I mean, if you, if you get a, like, for example, if you get a kind of a feedback from somewhere that our, your pricing is high and you are like, Two times the competition doesn't matter you go and try and take a meeting or you submit a proactive you revisit your solution you submit a, uh, a revised big you will definitely get called back you know so if you made a mistake somewhere don't worry about not correcting it i think you know anywhere, you know that you're not going to win in any case. So there is no harm in trying and salvaging the deal at that point in time as well. You know, so, so uh, I think we kind of keep, keep that in the back of our mind. Um, ultimately, winning is all about leveraging your entire organization, uh, building a cohesive team, defining the roles well, engaging in multiple one-to-one -one relationship with customer, um, getting all your different functions together, marketing, finance, contracts, legal, and above all, thinking on your feet. So uh, it's still not a science. There are a lot of tools. There are a lot of things that you can do. Um, there are now account management uh, gurus and systems and, you know, uh, software platforms which can help you, but ultimately it is you as an account manager keeping your antenna sharp, sharp, thinking on your feet, and you know following the golden rules. Yeah, some of which I've outlined. I'm sure the deal will be yours. Yeah, there is even a saying: uh, "Selling is a team sport." Yeah, <laughs> and. And keep your ego in control, right? Don't be the hero all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. And then actually also finally coming back to one of your mantras, which was failure is the biggest learner. So, I mean, like, even if you don't get the deal, the idea is not to kind of move on uh, from the account though. But yeah, I mean, like move on from that situation and then come back, look at what, revisit uh, what went wrong and then kind of come back stronger. And I remember like you were, you know, uh, while we were speaking to you, uh, you were kind of mentioned that there was this deal wherein 
you guys were on the back foot and you realized that relationships weren't built and then you kind of build that up and then every single year you renewed and you grew, grew bigger with them. Yeah, so, we became five times then uh, compared to the time when we got almost shot out of the account, you know. So we retained just uh, 3% of what we had, but then we increased the wallet share back to about 25% in four or five years. It's so, um, and many times it's also important that you evaluate, um, you know, uh, your relationships and you look at whether you've added value. You also look at, um, you know, did you sort of uh, really understand the customer requirement and you revisit that and you understand where you, you know, got it wrong. So if you can learn from your mistakes, I think um, it, it, you will definitely do it right the next time. That's right. I think I think a good. Uh, this is a good point to kind of uh, you know bring this to to an end. And I kind of remember one of your quotes. Uh, this was around relationships are like your bank balance. Credit <laughs> 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 should outweigh your debits. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know. Um, I mean. Um, you know, a, a relationship into an account, a large account, is 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 like a marriage, right? And you know, you've got to do many things to keep your marriage going, right? Uh, sometimes you bend, sometimes you assert. Um, so you learn as you move along, and uh, uh, and so a key to a successful marriage is. Again, keeping your credits more than your debits, right? So, same thing uh, with an account, and uh, and that is why many successful companies they they have built their business around maybe 100, 150 accounts, but they are billions of dollars in revenue, right? Um, and they invest a lot in training their people and uh, getting the right behavior. Uh, the most important thing, again, which I meant, forgot to mention is sense of ownership. You know, you are the CEO of the account, ultimately. The account manager is like the CEO. And, and that is the fun of being an account manager. <laughs> I think with that, we will, uh, that's, that's actually a good end to our podcast. And uh, thanks, Sanjeev. Like, we were really glad to have you. And I think discussions... Like I mentioned in the start, it is always inspiring to kind of speak uh, to you and like we are almost overwhelmed and out of words at times. So I thank, thank you for being with us. And I'm sure there were some amazing points uh, that you had shared with us that our listeners would benefit out of. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. Hey, thank you, Adrian. Thank you, Dakshesh. Uh, you guys have been a great company. Uh, it's been really fun working with you. And we hope to keep the relationship going, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Credits more than David. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Sure. Yeah.